Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and... uh, We've been talking about banking and what banking means in the kingdom of God. And, of course, if we don't have a central treasury, if we don't have a golden calf, if we don't have a Fort Knox for our reserve fund, what do we have for our reserve fund? You know, And people just t- dialing in or never heard this show before, they may not understand at all what I was talking about, but we have this all explained out, and this is like, probably going to be program number four in our series on banking and we have a lot of other shows already on banking and banking in the kingdom the system of god that we call the kingdom of god or the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven that we call the kingdom of god is a completely different kind of self-governance it's literally a voluntary community somebody was just talking to me the other day about voluntary communities and the you know, there's always guys who want to volunteer in these communities and, and create this community, but nobody wants to take out the trash. Or some people are really hardworking and other people just skate along and just expect everything to be laid out for them. And that's that's the common thing. You would have to get numerous people together that have personal initiative and ingenuity and, and they're self-starters and they have a different kind of personality than your average Joe on the street or certainly your average Joe on social welfare. I mean, right now, all over the United States, there are actually states that are refusing government aid from uh, President Biden. They're refusing government aid to come into their states and pad the unemployment rolls. They want people off unemployment. People can, uh, people have giving, you know, big businesses are giving incentives for people to get off of unemployment and get a job so that they can hire enough people to do the job to manufacture the stuff. They're literally paying people more to not work than they would be paid to work. Now, we still had the work ethic in America that we used to have. People would probably go back to work anyway. But we don't have that because we've degenerated as a society and we've degenerated as a society for the same reason Polybia said we would degenerate as a society, as he said Rome would degenerate as a society, as all the great philosophers, all the great prophets have said from the beginning. And, you know, and we even saw in Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't get to take a bite out of your neighbor or to take advantage of your neighbor because you don't want to work. And that's what you're doing if you stay on unemployment when there are jobs available and you could go out and try to find those jobs. But you would have to have a nation of degenerates, people who have been degenerating, in order to get to a place where they would rather take a check from Joe Biden or from, you know, unemployment 
or welfare, then actually go out and work and earn a living. How do you, how did we get to that place? The people who were thinking that in Jamestown died. Some of them, their bodies were dug up and the people cooked them. Because <laughs> they were so hungry. Cannibalism got to be a actual problem in America. Actually, it got to be a problem all over the world when there was climate change back in 544 AD. There was severe climate change, a long winter that lasted for several years. No summer, no growing season. Game got scarcer and scarcer, quicker and quicker. And there was cannibalism reported all over Europe and all over Asia, because all around the globe, things got cold for several years. And even when the things started warming up again, whenever whatever it was that got things to be so cold, cleared up, it still took a while before things came back. The game didn't all come back the first year. Uh, the plants didn't get, you know, wasn't that long a growing season. Can What would we do if that happened again? Well, we would do what they did. We would, uh, many of us would die and some of us would become barbaric and some of us would rob and steal and some of us would actually have virtue in our hearts. Right now, you don't have to go out and rob and steal from people. You can sit at home on your couch watching reruns and the government will go out and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare by uh, taking from them and sending you a check. But of course they don't do that anymore because they taxes don't actually support the government. They pay the interest on the loan from the Federal Reserve that you they borrow their money from to give you all these benefits. And since you're not going to be working and paying it back, it's going to fall on your children. Now, when we went into the bondage of Egypt, we, we, there was a famine, a dearth, a climate change. Again, climate change. <laughs> and there were droughts. And the crops failed. And, you know, uh, there wasn't enough grass even to feed the livestock. And it got hard. And they needed extra food. And they went to Egypt. But the Pharaoh didn't have Grain stored up in his granaries because he had raised the taxes on everybody. Or because he borrowed money from the temple at Ephesus in order to finance his grain purchasing plan for the famine. He actually just took his own money and built granaries and grew way more grain than he would normally need. And more grain than he would even need to export. He was in a position to do that because he was a wealthy, wealthy guy. Because we know Egypt wasn't in the bondage of Egypt yet. Because the, the biblical text says the people of Egypt went into bondage of Egypt. At the same time they went into the bondage of Egypt, the Israelites went into the bondage of Egypt. As well as probably other tribes round about Egypt. Because they were all having a famine too. So a lot of people went into the bondage of Egypt during this famine. Because they didn't have enough grain. And somebody stocked up and had enough grain. 
to feed them and get them through this climate change. But when you went and took from the Pharaoh, you would owe your labor, 20% of your labor to the Pharaoh from then on. Now, there's probably some way to pay it back. You'd probably have to say, you know, like Chicken George in, the, in that movie where he, he eventually made enough money to buy his own freedom. And you probably could have done that. And some people may have done that. And Moses certainly could have been free. He could have been the Pharaoh. But he chose not to be the Pharaoh. And he chose, and he was free once he got out there uh, in the, the deserts where he was helping Jethro and all the others gather together and and become more successful. He had lots of tricks on how to become more successful because Moses was a capitalist. Abraham was a capitalist. Somebody was just telling me today, I think I I, I have some of those notes still, but uh, he's a professor at a, I'm not sure what college he's at, but he's a professor uh, named Link. And he was talking about this idea of capitalism. And he, he kind of thinks it's a good idea. There was somebody arguing that it wasn't. We talked about that this morning. He says, if you're going to have a productive discussion, you need to agree on the meaning of words. Actually, that's what I said. I was looking for what he said. Where, where did they put what he said? <laughs> you know, he was talking about the fact that the, the, the word capital comes from you know, ancient words had to do with meaning head, meaning heads of animals. Not your personal head, but heads of animals. That's how you count animals in a herd, is that you got so many head. And capital was, you know, if you have ten sheep, you've got some capital. If you got a hundred sheep, you got more capital. If you have a thousand sheep, you even got more capital. And that's the way they figured their wealth, because they were migrating with the herds, you know, moving around. And that was the way, even the early Romans, you know, that that's the way they counted, uh, you know, they even, their some of their money was somewhat named after the fact that so much livestock is so much value. Except for now, the value was concentrated. I mean, you could probably buy a hundred sheep with a gold coin, but you can't put a hundred sheep in your pocket. That's why gold was so valuable because, well, one of the reasons, one, is it was rare. It didn't spoil. It didn't tarnish. It didn't rust. It had value just in itself as a pliable metal. And so it became customary that people prized that pretty gold. And you could come into a place and trade that gold for sheep, grain, tools, help. And so, it it was m- way more valuable than silver. So, if you wanted portable wealth that you could put in your pocket, you would make these coins or rings. They had different ways of producing it. where Or just carry around the nugget. The nuggets were actually used as currency. Because it was substantive. It was valued by people all over the place. 
And so, therefore, it was used as a medium of exchange. But they, you know, if you were a shepherd, maybe you weren't exchanged. You would be, your your capital production was producing the next lamb crop. Somebody says, well, you can't have an increase in value without usury. Well, you have to use the sheep because the sheep's going to increase in value. He's going to have one lamb and then he's going to have two lambs and then he's going to have three lambs and your herd's going to grow. So that that's in essence what capitalism was really all about. And I pointed out that you know that the, this word capitalism, they're saying, well, it didn't even exist until Marx. Well, actually, no, capitalism existed before Marx. Marx only uses the word like twice in his first volume of his uh, manifesto. Uh, his capitalis. Uh, he used the word capitalist a lot of time, but capitalism, I think it was only in there about twice. But uh, the idea of capitalism been around for a long time. And, and I've actually heard people trying to argue there's so much false rhetoric about capitalism being a bad thing. Capitalism is you own your labor. That's where it starts. And if you go out and gather nuts in the wild, you own the nuts. If you go out and dig a hole in the ground and find some gold, then that's your gold. Because you went out and found it. Because nobody owns it when it's out in the wilderness. There's not much wilderness left anymore. But they even have laws in most countries that if you find uh, things that nobody has a property right to, that you get to mine it. You know, like finding oil in the ground. Now, in some places, they'll, the state will put a tax on it. In some places, the government has, uh, confiscated all the oil in the ground. And if you drill oil, then you can get money for your trouble of making the drilling operation and the pipe operation. You can make money that way. But the actual extra multimillionaire profit goes to the state. But, that's not that, that that's not capitalism that's statism capitalism is what your labor produces like if you're an artist somebody has a lump of gold worth you know $10,000 and they give it to you and you make a statue out of it or a picture out of it or maybe you buy a bunch of paints and you paint a picture and somebody wants to buy that painting but now the paints that were worth 40 bucks, now be, may be worth 400 bucks. But that's a product of your labor. Not just the labor on that single painting in that single time. You'll say, well, how long did it take you to draw that? There's a guy who draws on uh, TikTok, I've seen it, or maybe it's Instagram or something. And he draws these absolutely marvelous pictures of people close up where you see the hairs and the pores of their skin and and their fingernails and their eyes and the glistening of their eyes. And it is just remarkable. And he talks about, well, I've got 30 hours into this drawing or 40 hours into that drawing. That represents his labor. So you say, well, 40 hours, what does it sell for? $2,000? $3,000? Well, then he's making hundreds of dollars an hour, you say. Well, actually, not necessarily. How many hours... Did he spend developing that talent before he sold any pictures? 
You have to figure that in, too. And then after you sit there drawing for 10 hours straight, you're going to have to go rest up. And that's really part of the overall cost of doing the painting or drawing or whatever it is. But the point is, is that the means of production is your labor. That's the means of production. And if you don't own your labor, you're not doing capitalism. It's not capitalism if you don't own your labor because the thing you produce, you don't even own that because your labor belongs to somebody else. So like I said, if the original capital was what somebody collected in the hunting gathering you know, lifestyle what we supposedly had as we evolved, which actually is not the case, but we won't go into that. That's another side trail. But say that's they're right in the way they create this chronology. We were hunter-gatherers, and then we became keeper of flocks, and we had domestic sheep and domestic cows, and then we started farming and all that stuff. Well, of course... According to Adam and Eve, in the story of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, one was already a farmer and the other one was already a shepherd. They didn't start out as hunter-gatherers. Was there anybody before Adam and Eve? I don't know. I would suspect so, but then I've just overthrown the Bible and threw it out because the Bible says that God created Man and woman. I didn't say God didn't create man and woman and Adam and Eve. I didn't say that. I just said there might be people before. And of course the Bible tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's the word. That's the word there in the Hebrew. Replenish the earth. Didn't say plenish the earth. It said replenish the earth. So maybe there were people. Maybe there was huge climate change and everybody died out. (laughs) Maybe there was a geomorphological cascade of collapse of the ecosystems and whole species died out. Who knows? I mean, I'm still trying to figure out who Cain married. Who are these gals from Nod? Where did they come from? There's all kind. They navigate around that. But the reality is they're not saying there's no other people. And if you read it in the Hebrew, it's really clear. But if you only read the translation, then you're going to need to be very dependent upon the Holy Spirit to find out what they're actually talking about. But my point of this conversation is Abraham was a capitalist. Moses was a capitalist. And their wealth was sometimes counted in the number of sheep and the number of donkeys. And maybe they even had some cattle. We don't know. They didn't have cattle. But where was Abraham's real wealth? Was it in the cattle? Was it in the sheep? When when his nephew was captured and taken hostage... From the city of Sodom. And this king. So actually it was five kings that attacked Sodom. And they attacked Gomorrah. And they attacked a number of other city states. 
And they overcame them. They conquered them. They evidently had some really good set-up army where they could go to these places and break down the walls and get in there and capture them. And, they, of course, they probably went around and tried to snatch up all the gold and silver they could get, anything of value, all the artwork they could get. And they probably took all the good-looking gals and maybe children to be slaves and servants. And they took all these people to be some sort of second-class citizen in whatever place they lived. And along with them went Lot and his family. They were headed out to be in the bondage somewhere where they would become serfs and slaves in some other city-state. And Abraham decided to go get back his nephew because he was the head of the family. If you understood family laws, we've talked about that, Sumerian family laws and the family laws that stem back even before the Hammurabi Codes that nobody wants to teach you about in public school. They don't want you to know about the family laws because that's where you find freedom. Is when families come together in a voluntary society and start doing things according to the way of Christ and the prophets. Because they're actually telling you how to create a free nation. They're not telling you how to build a church that you go to with soft pews and sit there and sing. That's not what, that's not what the Bible was telling you to do. It was going out and teaching the way to all the other nations. Well, of course, Christians can't do that because they don't even know the way anymore because these damnable heresies, as the Bible calls them, have crept into their thinking and they have accepted these doctrines of men as if they were doctrines of Christ. You have to have a little bit of humility listening to what I have to say because if you don't know me, you're going to say, oh my gosh, he's saying my doctrines aren't right. Well, your doctrines probably aren't right. But Jesus Christ's doctrines were right. So we want to hold up Jesus Christ's doctrines to your doctrines and find out if your doctrines are contrary to Jesus' doctrines. If they are, then you're not following Jesus. And most of the doctrines I've seen, and I have seen a lot of them, in most churches all over the United States, I looked at one doctrinal statement after another. Took me days to get through so many of them. I'd read them and I'd go like, that's not it. <laughs> no, that's not it. Because I could see that this doesn't even mention, you know, 80 to 90% of the words and the doctrines of these churches are not Jesus' words. They're not what he taught. I mean, they have a little bit of it in there. They talk about love and you know, they talk about charity, but really, they all were falling short. And I hadn't read that many doctrinal statements until I read them that week. But that week was about it for me. I don't think I could hardly read one now. They they find them so uh, horrible. I mean, horrible. Because <laughs> I'm coming on it from the point of view of knowing what Jesus actually said. I see... Jesus' words as that freight train I talked about this morning stretched out over a long period of track. And I see a pattern developing in what Jesus is saying. And then I went back to the Old Testament and I looked at that. And I looked at it in the Hebrew. And I looked at the New Testament and the Greek. And I found out the Old New Testament really are saying the same thing. Which is why 
when Jesus appears with Moses, or Moses appears with Jesus and Elijah, they're in agreement. They're okay with each other. They're tracking down the same track. But the Pharisees, who said they knew Moses, Jesus said they didn't know Moses. They weren't doing what Moses said. They're sitting in the seat of Moses, and you may have to do what they say. In other words, the same as, you know, if you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. But you want to get Christ sitting in that seat. Well, if you want to get Christ sitting in that seat, you have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to be like Christ. You have to accept the spirit of Christ into your heart and into your mind. Allow it into your heart and your mind. You know what will happen? One of the first things that will happen is you will have this inordinate desire to forgive people. You will have an inordinate desire to care about other people. I mean, some of you will experience it first with when you begin to find out the truth. You'll want to run out and share it with other people and tell everybody. But everybody's not people. Everybody's not the sons of Adam. According to Jesus, some people are swine. (laughs) They're pigs. I know two pigs. Actual four-legged pigs. Disgusting creatures. (laughs) I mean, they're okay for pigs. But their table manners are horrible. They're grunting and groaning at each other and pushing each other and competing. Somebody told me once, if you want to raise pigs, which I'm not really crazy about the idea of raising pigs, but they said if you want to raise pigs, you got to have two of them. Never just buy one. Because if you buy two, they will compete with each other to get food. And they can't store it up in a treasury of food, you know, and put it in. They don't have a pig refrigerator. So they got to eat it. That's how they store food. They store it in their fat. So if there's food out, they're both rushed to eat it because they want to eat it up before the other guy eats it up. And they will get way fatter if you have two pigs than if you only have one pig. (laughs) So anyway, that's the theory behind it. But now incorporate that into humanity. Well, we're not supposed to be pigs. So... You have this idea of capitalism is that you own your means of production. And it's really not good that you, you know, if you produce a lot of food, you just eat it and eat it and eat it until you get really, really fat like Jabba the Hutt. And then that's the way you store your wealth. Because you're going to end up having a heart attack and drop over. So you don't want to, you're not a pig. You don't want to store it in fat. But occasionally you have to store, you know, if, you know, if you live in a northern climate, you stock up firewood. If if you're concerned about a coronal mass ejection or volcanic eruptions that might cause a, you know, a solar winter for two or three years and you can't get any crops. I mean, anybody in the wheat farm business, if you grow wheat, you got seven years that you may grow wheat. The idea that you're going to have a bumper crop. Every year for seven years in a row is really rare. You will have some years where you're hailed completely out. When I was working in North Dakota on wheat farms, I would see 
hail come through and just literally mow a field down to the ground. Just beat it into the soil. And you just see a line like it was a giant mower. That everything on this side of the line is beat into the ground. You don't see anything hardly but dirt. And then over here is wheat standing. Well, if that goes over your field, you're not going to make a thing. So you have grain silos and you put it up. So if I if I don't get any crop this year, at least I can sell some of last year's crop or the year before. And you can store wheat for years, which is why wheat worked real good as money. Early America, they used bottles of whiskey for money. Even if you didn't drink. Maybe you did, you were teetotaler and you did not drink whiskey or any alcohol. You could still use that bottle as a trade good or wine. Whiskey was worth more. took more, more of that labor to make the whiskey. So anyway, I hope everybody got a little bit better idea of what capitalism... Capitalism is your labor represented in some form or medium of exchange that usually, the better it is, it will maintain its value. You know, like if, if it's a Rembrandt or a painting... And you say, well, that's people will buy that. They bought it before World War II. They bought it after World War II. Every year it goes up in value. It's actually not going up in value so much as your dollars going down. But it looks like it sustains its value. Artwork. Or numismatic coin. That's collectible coins. Maintains their value. Now, gold, it doesn't matter if it's in a coin or whatever. Although there is sometimes a premium. It has a certain value. Just in itself. Now things can affect it. Like if somebody had a huge giant gold strike or they learned to make gold. They actually can make gold in a nuclear furnace. But it costs more to make it than (laughs) than mining it out of the ground. So it's not going to change the price of gold. And also after you made it, it's so radioactive you can't hardly touch it. (laughs) I don't even know if you can touch it. And it's minute amounts. And there's maybe a way to make it, but right now, that has a certain value and it stays with it. Notes, not so much. Notes are pledges now. They used to be uh, promises to pay. Redeemable and lawful money. They're not promises to pay anymore. They're pledges. And not pledges for redeemable and lawful money, but just they're just notes. They have no value. Like I said, the Federal Reserve says on their official website, President of the uh, Federal Reserve says Federal Reserves have no va- notes have no value. They're just a medium of exchange. And because a lot of people want to exchange them, they have some sort of value. When people don't want to exchange them anymore, which will is we see that decreasing because. Their value is going down. And people are fearing a a depression. So some people will hoard them. But they don't hoard them in their pocket usually. They hoard them in their bank. And that could all disappear overnight. But let's get back to capitalism. Because capitalism is found everywhere in nature. This is just shocking to me when people say that capitalism didn't exist until Marx. Or shortly before Marx even. Capitalism is a word expressing the idea that what you produce 
should belong to you. You should own the means of production. Your labor. Like I said, if you don't own your labor, to whatever degree you don't own your labor, that's not capitalism anymore. And in Egypt, you didn't own 20% of your labor. In many places in the United States, you don't own 20, 30, 40, 50% of your labor, depending on how much money you make. So that's not capitalism. Capitalism is the possession of those things of value that you produced. And like this morning, I said one of the most valuable things that you produce is your children. And there are efforts, have been, for decades and decades, to remove your right to your children. And now you're seeing the evidence of that and everybody gets up in arms. I mean, if your kids are going to public school, they can go in and get an abortion, uh, they can go in and get a vaccination, and they don't have to notify you in many states. I don't know why people are taking so long to get their kids out of school. I can guarantee you one thing they won't get in public school is a good education. And that evidence we lay out on the website at Schools for Tools, Schools as Tools. So you can go look that up. So Abraham was a capitalist. Uh, he, he is, what he had was portable wealth. It wasn't just sheep, it was silver. We know it was silver because he went to buy some land. And the guy just wanted to give him the land. And he said, no, let's do it right. And he paid for the land with silver. But the truth is, every squirrel who gathers nuts is a capitalist. Every bird that makes a nest is a capitalist. Every dung beetle that rolls around his dung is a capitalist. This capitalist is his dung ball, his big ball of dung. That's what he wants. That's what he considers about. They will fight each other to keep their dung ball. But that's capitalism. It's found everywhere in nature. And it's what things they produce, you know, like, you know, like water buffalo. Are they capitalists? Well, they're a herd. That's important to understand. They have a herd mentality. Which just means that they gather in groups and and they care about other members of the herd. Maybe as much as they care about themselves. When I saw water buffaloes chasing lions off who tried to kill a calf. Those lions were, I mean those water buffalo were risking their life to chase off those buffalo because they cared about that calf. And so, as much as they cared about themselves, because they were at risk as well. So, the reality is, is where do they store their wealth? Well, they store it in their muscle. They store it in their meat and in the fat of their bodies. But they have to go out and graze to do that. That's the labor. That's their labor. They have to fight and defend their calves. That's their wealth too. Because when they get older, those calves will be full-sized bulls. And they will actually remember that they were protected and they will have the instinct to protect other members of the herd. I've seen where an old cow was down. Old water buffalo was down. And lions came out and were 
trying to jump on her and another buffalo, actually several of them came along and started just tossing those lions up in the air to protect this old one so that her days would be longer upon the land. You see how that works? The the ten statements are telling you the principles of a free society. They're not laws. Any more than the law of gravity is really a law. If you disregard the law of gravity, what statutory punishment is there for you? (laughs) I mean, do you get five years in jail if you break the law of gravity? (laughs) It's not a law in that sense. See, we use these words like referring to statutes of men as if they are laws, and in a way they are. But the law of thermodynamics is a law too. What's the penalty of not regarding the law of thermodynamics? Well, you get your fingers burned. Cause and effect. The stove was hot and you denied the law of thermodynamics and you put your hand on the stove. You broke the law. You didn't really break the law. The law of thermodynamics is still in place. You disregarded the law and you burned your hand what happens if you covet your neighbor's goods anything that is your neighbor his his labor his wife's labor his, his any of his property anything that is his if you covet that if you desire i'm not saying you desire to have sheep like he has i'm talk that's not coveted i'm talking about you want to have his sheep Are you breaking the law? No, you're disregarding a law that is built into creation. What happens if you don't take care of your parents? Well, it's likely your days will not be long upon the land. For numerous reasons. Not only will your children not be interested in taking care of you because they never saw you take care of their parents, your parents, but also because you killed care. We talked about that this morning. Killing care. That's what the New World Order wants to do. It wants to kill care amongst you. Because when care is dead amongst you, you are much easierly, much easier to manage. We just saw that through the so-called pandemic. Where people are shouting at you, wear your mask! But masks don't work and I wanted to follow the science. So, they, 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 they don't care about your rights. They don't care about your rights. They don't care about your breath. They don't care about your business. They don't care about the next generation. Because they killed care. And they killed care a long time ago when they decided it was okay to covet their neighbor's goods through men like FDR, LBJ, and all the other presidents before and in between who were willing to take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. We can go all the way back to Davy Crockett. Go look up Davy Crockett at Preparing You and read the story of Davy Crockett and Horatio Bunce. But Davy Crockett repented. Like David. He repented. He realized that their table is a snare. Paul told you that. Their table is a snare. What should have been for your welfare is a snare. 
So the squirrel capitalist, he goes out and gathers nuts for himself. But not just for himself. He also gathers nuts for his mate. And for his offspring, who he doesn't even know yet. But when the offspring comes, the nuts are there for, and he shares them willingly. With his mate and with the offspring. And they grow up. And when the red squirrels come to castrate, because <laughs> that's what they do, red squirrels will go in where there are gray squirrels, and they, they're not big enough to beat the gray squirrels, but they, when they fight them, they try to castrate them so that they don't reproduce, so that the red squirrels will be more competitive in that area for finding their own food. Now, humans, they're so moral, they would not want to castrate the vast majority of the population to decrease the competition in society. They wouldn't do anything like that. I do know that there are more and more reports of the spike proteins accumulating in the ovaries of women. I do know that the head of Pfizer's science division said that if you ever want to have children, don't take these shots. The head scientist, vice president of Pfizer at one time, one of the vice presidents of Pfizer, said if you ever want to have children, don't take these shots. Said this a long time ago. Didn't get in the news. Because, and so, and because nobody's really following the science, they're following the news. They didn't know that. Most people didn't know that. I don't know. I don't know if millions of people have been chemically castrated. But we'll find out. But the reality is, these are the kinds of things that happen when people stop being people and start being animals. When they start degenerating and do something Less than human. You know, monkeys will castrate their enemies. And of course now we have an outbreak of monkeypox. <laughs> so what, what's that? Is that the new thing we're supposed to be afraid of? The, the God I serve says fear not. So anyway, like I said, those squirrels will share their nuts with their family. And the family will grow up. And they will share their family. Which is what? It's their capital. It's the product of their labor. They will share the product of their labor in the squirrel economy with other squirrels. Their their young male squirrels will mate with young female squirrels. And young female squirrels that they produce will mate with young male squirrels. And they will become the next generation. And they will all live in the trees that their grandfathers planted... When, you know, their great-grandfathers planted when they were gathering their nuts. Because all the nuts don't get found by the squirrels. Some of them stay in the soil and get regenerated and become the next oak trees. The next oak tree forest. That's nature. But that's capitalism. Where forests, forests could all burn off and the squirrels would bring it back. And they do it without any usury. Amazing. Without exploitation. (laughs) The trees want them to take their nuts because they know the squirrels will bury them and there will be new trees in the fertility of the soil. So anyway, 
This is so important to limit capitalism to what capitalism actually is. If you're going to start talking about corporate capitalism, you have to use the adjective corporate capitalism. If you're going to start talking about debtism, you should use that word, not capitalism, because that's where you're at. The, I, I remember the guy who used to be a weatherman and then he ended up working for Obama. I can't remember his name right offhand. Bad at names. I can picture the guy. I can remember when he was originally arrested, <laughs> when he was a member of the weatherman. Uh, but I, I never put a name with him. But anyway, he's out there. And he said, uh, referring to the economy, that, yeah, the economy is falling apart. So how's that capitalism working for you? Of course, it isn't capitalism that's bringing the nation down. It's socialism. Because socialism is degenerating the people. So they're, they're not communities anymore. They will sit on their couch taking checks from a guy, senile old guy in Washington, D.C., who's sending them money to not work. And this is what, I, I was just shocked when I found out that there are states that are rejecting the receiving of that money. Because they know that it's ruining their economy. And people have to get back to work. That, that's great that, that people are thinking that way. But why aren't the people on the couch thinking that way? Because you've been degenerating your generations year after year after year. First with, first with public education. And then with social security systems and welfare systems. The welfare state. You've been degenerating your people. So that they're not squirrels anymore. And gathering nuts. They're pigs. Rutting around for the scraps that you left. You know, what, what was an animal farm? What did the pigs become after, you know, they became bureaucrats, didn't they? <laughs> so, anyway. So... Capitalism is not, it, it, it doesn't stand alone. I mean, it is a very simple definition that your labor should belong to you. And all that you produce with your labor, and you and your wife produce together with your labor and her labor, which will include your children, should belong to you. That's the natural way of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. But we are supposed to come together with one additional idea that I don't find often among squirrels. I occasionally found it among sheep. And I will find it among some animals. Occasionally. It's not the big rule. With humans, it has to be the big rule. You have to care about your neighbors as much as you care about yourself. You have to, that means that you have to care about your capital and your neighbor's capital equally. And you see, when you violate the elemental law of coveting your neighbor's goods, we know that you have put not only yourself above your neighbor, but we, you put what you have above the right of your neighbor to own what he has. You, you're degenerating your society. When you go to the gods of the world, the ruling judges of the world, the rulers of the world, and you say, will you take away from my neighbor so that I can have more stuff? And you make a covenant with them. 
then you violate this other rule. Over here, this says, don't make covenants with them nor with their gods. Certainly not to a covenant so that you could covet your neighbor's goods. That's a, that's a double whammy. That puts you in a lot of hot water. Now, if you tell that ruler that you have become subject to by applying to him for benefits and making him the choice maker for what used to be your right, and you say, you can even borrow money. You can borrow stuff against the future as long as I get benefits today. Then you violated the Sabbath. You see, the doctrines of men want to turn Sabbath into a day where you count six days and then take a day off. Which you can certainly do. But that isn't the point. That's the metaphor. Unmoor the metaphor from the point and you don't realize that I should not be borrowing against the future labor. I need to labor first and then take my day off. Take the benefit of my labor at the end of my labor, not before I begin to labor. You see, so now you got three whammies against you. And then there's always the level of how much power are you going to give this God that you're making covenants with, this ruler. Because that's what gods were. They were ruling judges. Are you going to give them the power to make laws? Because they can make a law that says it's okay to kill your baby. While it's still in the womb. They can even change that. And some are. That it's okay to kill your baby after it comes out of the womb. You can decide whether you want to let the baby live or not. Now, that would be a violation of the ten statements. But it may not be a violation of the commandments of men. But see, that's where you're at, is everybody has gone away from the commandments of God, the statements of God, the precepts of God, the natural law of God. I mean, it's obvious to say that it, it's not right to stab your neighbor in the chest or to shoot your neighbor in the head. It's obvious that, and if you think you could live by killing others, then you yourself will be killed. If you live by coveting other people's goods, you yourself will have your goods coveted by others. If, it, if you think it's okay to subject your neighbor to men who exercise authority for your benefit, then it's okay that your neighbor subjects you to the authority of men for his benefit. And you see... You're creating your dystopia yourself. Because you're disregarding the statements of God. The ten statements. And of course Jesus just summed all those statements up. Obviously you're not going to go out and murder somebody you love. And you're supposed to love your neighbor. So you won't murder anybody. And obviously you know. You're not supposed to steal from your neighbor. And if you think it's okay to steal from your neighbor, then it must be okay for your neighbor to steal from you. So here we come back to the crooks of what I was talking about this morning. Is that 
the situation we find ourselves in where we're all back in the bondage of Egypt and it's worse with us than it was in the bondage of Egypt. I pointed out Aaron wasn't down in the mud pit stomping clay and straw together because he knew the arts of the temple and the temple was a bank. So he knew those arts. And so that means he wasn't down in the clay pits. Who else wasn't down in the clay pits? Joshua was a stonemason. He was carving stone. There were people probably in the pits. But uh, somebody has to make the meals. Somebody has to... They were watching flocks. The point was is that 20% of their labor did not belong to them. Their sheep did not belong to them. They had legal title to them. Because, you know, Pharaoh wasn't going to herd all those sheep. So, yeah. They, but they now, the sheep they herded... If they had a hundred lambs, twenty of those lambs are going to belong to the Pharaoh. And you have to deliver them over. Not ten percent, twenty percent. Automatically. Whether you get services or not. Because we see that when Moses came, Pharaoh cut off the services. You're not going to get any more straw. You're not going to get any more benefits. You're not going to get any more leeks and onions. But you still have to pay your tally of bricks. That's actually the law in the Social Security rules. That if they decide to not give you any benefits, zero, zilch, nada benefits, they can still demand you pay them. They can go up to 14%, 15%, 16%, 17% because you don't have that ceiling limit that Joseph put on it. So, what did, so the question is, what do you do? How do you, how do you overcome this bondage that everybody finds themselves into? We're almost out of time, so I better tell you. Well, Abraham had something else besides capital. Besides silver in his purse and sheep on the hoof and, and friends all around, and this is how he got friends all around. He taught them how to build altars. Altars of stone and altars of clay. Which was a social safety net based on charity. Go read our Sacrifice of Sophistry or our article on altars or, you know, clay and stone. Yeah, I think that's what, yeah, clay and stone. Just looked that up at Preparing You. And these altars were systems of social welfare Based on charity, not legal charity, not forced contributions, but voluntary contributions. In order to make them effective, Christ commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And start caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. Which is what I said this morning. And it's worth repeating because nobody else is really saying it. You have to breathe life back into care. For one another. Just flat out care. I don't care for him because he's nice or because he likes the same football team I do or because he has the same theological doctrines that I really don't know what I'm talking about. But I say it's important for you to believe. You care about him because he is God's creation. And you care about him in a way in which where he is, if he's sitting on the couch collecting, sucking down a check from Biden, you're not going to help him. You're going to say, look, if you don't get off that couch, you don't get your rear end gear, I'm not, I'm going to turn away from you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Because I'm not supposed to be helping the slothful and the covetous 
and the boasters and all these people that, you know, Paul talks about. I'm not supposed to be helping them. I'm supposed to be helping those people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with those people and help them. Not just the ones in your congregations, but people in other congregations in that network. And you start doing that as if your soul depended upon it. Because <laughs> it does. Because that's that's not just saying, Lord, Lord. That's becoming a doer of the word. That is giving life back to the way. By laying down your life in the way. For others. Because you're learning what it means to love others as much as yourself. You see how this all works? That is the answer. When the armies came, Abraham said, I'm going to go after them. I only got 900 men, but I'm going after them and I'm going to set my nephew free. And all these other tribes round about him said, we're going with you. Why? Because they had created the social bonds of a free society with altars of faith, hope, and charity. And that's what you have to do. And that's so people want to know what to do. There you go. That's what you do. You do what Christ said. And you got a chance to survive. But it's not about your survival. It's about the survival of your souls. Because if you go the way of Christ, you will be pulled into and towards the kingdom. If you go the way of unrighteousness, you will be pulled towards the kingdoms of unrighteousness. Till then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.